Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of January 1st, 2018. On this week's show, we're going to do the first ever Hang Up and Listen's Conundrums podcast in the spirit of the great political gab fest. They wanted to know which would you rather be, a fish or a tree. We will ask, who would you rather be, Catfish Hunter or Tree Rollins? And there will be other questions we'll ask and answer. Marty Fish, as well. too. Marty Fish, um, Mike the Pasca. Stanford tree. Mike Pasca. Yeah. Mike Pasca. Oh, fish, yeah, yeah. Hey, Mike. Mike Pasca is here. It's always a special episode when Mike is here. He's the host of the Daily Podcast, The Gist, and he's joining us from New York. Hello, Mike. Hello. I definitely don't want to be, was it the Auburn tree that the Alabama guy tore down <laughs> or the other way around? Yeah, it was the Alabama guy poisoning the Auburn tree. That is correct. Yeah, yes. Don't want to yeah, be, that, be yeah. that tree. Has uh, anyone poisoned the uh, the fish? Uh, I don't know who the fish would be. They call the dolphins the fish. Uh, uh, that, that was like an Ace Ventura, right? There, there was some dolphin-related issue. Yeah. Benny the yeah. Marlin? Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> Is this going to be the whole episode, just like naming yeah, different fish and trees? Mascots, yeah. We got to give credit to Al Baker. He actually came up with the Catfish Hunter, Tree Rollins thing. Um, Stefan Fatsis is the author of the book's Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. He is here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Josh. Hi, Mike. So, Mike, uh, you're the guest. You're the honored mm. guest. We've mm. got a lot of really fun conundrums here, but I want to give you first pick in the conundrum draft. All right, this is my favorite one. Let's go with uh, LeBron James and the seventh graders. All right, how many seventh grade basketball teams would be needed to beat LeBron James on his own? That's the question you want, correct? Right, right. So, so That I, one's from I, Daniel Waldron. Thank you, Daniel. So I assume that this would mean that, you know, we could have 30, 40, 80 players on the court at once because of it just like teams in terms of depth and substitution doesn't really make sense. So first of all, it's important, as I'm thinking about this, it's important that it's 7th graders. Because I think LeBron would have an easier time beating 7th graders than, say, 4th graders, and here's why. For The only way, well, one of two ways, that LeBron would ever be able to inbound the ball is to throw it directly off a kid. And if you're a 3rd grader or 4th grader, it's just too cruel. They're cute little kids. But 7th graders <laughs> are maybe sprouting little mustaches. They're kind of obnoxious. I think LeBron's soul could take it a little better, pegging 7th graders uh, in the head or chest to get the ball. There's another way. way that, that assumes that the 7th graders score a basket and LeBron has to inbound the ball. 
Well, if they don't, then the answer is an infinite number of teams, and we have our <laughs> we have our answer. He could also roll the ball, or you know, to center court or to wherever uh, a kid picks it up, and then just steal the ball every time, which is probably something he could easily do. Now, I would think the number is I haven't done a calculation, but you'd need enough kids to actually stack their bodies not on top of each other, but to occupy every space of the floor until at least three quarters court, because there'd be no other way to possibly yeah. stop. LeBron James, except you'd have to prevent him from driving by just holding your bre- your ground and getting charging calls. It would probably kill a kid or two, but you know, you, you said an infinite number of teams. So I'm thinking at least like 200. And on offense, the only way to score against LeBron James is you could never even go within, say, 20 feet of the basket. He would certainly reject everything. So you just pass it around the perimeter and and chuck up, if you're in seventh grade, you know, 25-foot shots. Hmm. I would assume four or five would go in. So the seventh graders would have about 20 points. And if they just had a sea of seventh graders extending towards, you know, almost halfway into LeBron James' end of the court, I think that he might not be able to score five or six three-quarter uh, court shots in that amount of time, but it probably would still be. All right, I have two things to add here. One is that I think LeBron's biggest problem will be after he scores playing defense because really all the seventh grader has to do is assuming one of them can inbound the ball, all they have to do is chuck it the length of the court because there's going to be 200 of them. Someone catches it under the basket. LeBron's going to have difficulty making his way through the crowd to get back mm. on defense. No, he'd never he'd never get to the other end of the court. You don't he think he'd ever be... bought? Well, how is he going to? But he's got to. But he couldn't because there'd be no way for him to advance the ball without a charging penalty. Mm. Yeah. All right. I think he'd have to. I think he'd have to settle for large, almost full court heaves. Okay. Now. So are you saying then that Steph Curry could beat an even larger number of seventh graders? I think his defense, I don't know that he would be able to, you know, as effectively swat as many seventh <laughs> graders within a 20-foot range. So who I also would, think he seems would, nicer. He's the baby-faced assassin, so just pegging it off the seventh graders would be harder for him. So would poor Zingus? Like, who would you pick? We, we've transitioned into another conundrum here. Who would you pick right. to beat 200 seventh graders? Draymond Green. <laughs> Because merciless. <laughs> yeah, merciless, uh, multi-skilled player. Yeah. I think he'd kind of enjoy the seventh grade carnage. Now, I want to say that there is some data here to help us understand this phenomenon. Are you going to get into the realm of Japanese game shows? I'm going to get into the realm of <laughs> Japanese game shows, but also there have been other examples of this. So Japanese game show a few years ago had 55 Japanese child soccer players going against two pros the pros won. That's so, so good. <laughs> in China, they had 109 Chinese kids <laughs> played a group of Real Madrid players that included Ronaldo. Yeah. Yeah. Ronaldo and the Real Madrid players won. But and then- That would only be 26 Americans if you do the ratio. <laughs> and then there was uh, uh, another match, 40 American kids in New York- <laughs> against Xavi Alonso and Arturo Vidal. And Xavi and Arturo, they won also. So the evidence leans very heavily that you'd need an infinite number of children to beat a professional athlete in his or her given Yeah, but all the ones that you've um, 
mentioned they're probably younger than seventh grade, right? They seem to be a little bit younger. Yeah, yeah they seem to be like not, fifth and sixth graders. You guys are not giving enough credence to the fact they're that gonna these be are seventh some, graders. There are going to be some pubescent seventh yeah. graders here. Yeah, yeah. there are going to be some mustaches, as Mike alluded to. Yeah. So I think it's going to be fewer than, than the Japanese game show, second grade assault on the soccer pitch. Yeah. I would go for my, maybe more like... I'm going to go way down. I think I think you it think, would take like 20. No uh, I'm not gonna way. Say there is no chance that 20 could. There's literally no chance. I think Come the on. heaving down the court, Mike, you know, it's one guy. If LeBron scores. Like the, what if they're like AAU champions of that of that age group? You don't think 20? No, I think that first <laughs> of all. There's going to be some would, six foot three kids. Damn right. He would be the, able to get off. Uh, I know. He would be able to get off a three point wherever he, a three pointer wherever he wanted, and then he just you know quickly backpedal and be able to cover ground. All right. Oh, absolutely. we'll find out. All right. Now we're going to run it. Now, now we've <laughs> developed the simulation. All right, Stefan, uh, do you have a conundrum that you would like to hit us with? Yeah, I was uh, I was pleased with Allison Benedict of Slate's uh, conundrum. Is it better to raise a lax bro or to let your child play tackle football? All right. So this is not a Hobson's choice. You know, the illusion of choice. We have to make a choice here. Okay. It's the beauty of the conundrum. It's a Hodson's so, choice named after the LSU choice. quarterback, Tommy, like that. Tommy like Hodson. That. Yeah. Um, so football is temporary. Being a lax bro is for life. So you're really making a choice of whether you're sacrificing some brain function or whether you're committing your child to a lifetime of lax bro-ness. A low-level job on Wall Street... <laughs> membership in a golf club, that sort of thing. So I I think I'm going to let my kid play football for a little while. Yeah, to me, this is not that hard because the question is, isn't should we let the kid play football or lacrosse? It's should we let him play lacrosse right. and then metastasize into yes. the worst form of lacrosse player? And of course, a lax bro, forgetting the fact, you know, put aside whatever effects of the sport, it means you've raised a douchebag. Whereas a football player can become yes. uh, a Nate justice Jackson. on the minute. Uh, a, a, right, a justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court, or a two-time best-selling author, or, or you know, an on MI the Supreme Court, right, or an MIT, <laughs> an MIT physicist. These are not lax bros. There are better outcomes. Just all those kickers that you know and like, Stefan. Mm -hmm. So there are better outcomes. I mean, just to say, do, do I would I sign up for having my child be in the lower fifth of humanity? Versus, you know, exposing himself to some potential head. Potential. Potential. Right. And, and, well, the kid quit, and the kid could quit after a couple of years. Or he could be a kicker. Let's make, yeah. it, let's make it a little tougher then. Would you sign up for your kid being a lax bro? And by lax bro, I mean exactly what you guys have said. Like, just a real asshole. Like, nobody that you want to be around. Yeah. He's got all the stickers on the yeah. SUV. All of it. Yeah. The, guy who, the guy who bought the boat on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> that guy. You know that, that character? I don't. Yeah, he goes on weekend updates and he does the I bought a boat guy. The I bought a boat guy. Okay, yeah. that guy. Versus not only letting your child play tackle football, but your child will develop brain trauma. Oh, well, there you go. Definitely I want the lax brain. <laughs> <laughs> you want a like really horrible person with full brain function. That's what you're, that's what you're well, going Well, when for. you develop brain trauma, you can become even worse than the bottom fifth of society. You know, a lot of those people kill other people or themselves. That's a range. There's a range. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here is my uh, conundrum that I'm going to pick for you guys. Um, this one was for, uh, from Sean Reynolds. What is the most accessible ultimate sports achievement? So he lists 
a hole-in-one in golf, 300-game in bowling, a 180 in darts, and then the helpful, the always helpful, etc. So <laughs> these are good choices. I think the 300 in bowling is something that requires you to, you know. Get lucky 12 times in a row. Get lucky? Yeah. I mean, anybody can roll a strike. Hmm. It happens. I don't think you get lucky. Five-year-olds roll strikes. I don't think you get lucky 12 times in a row. That's my point. I don't think it works. You have to get lucky 12 times in a row. Um, Oh, so he's asking what the most accessible ultimate sports tournament is. Yeah. So that's not not it. I would guess that it's probably the um, hole-in-one in in golf. I agree. I think that, so if you could get to the point where you roll a strike a certain percentage of the time um, with enough practice, I, I don't know, maybe I'm guessing maybe I could get to 50%, maybe even more. Pretty good bowlers <laughs> get a strike half the time. This is but Mike still, Teska brags about how good he is at bowling. Yeah. But still, one I mean, over, I could probably do it every time, probably. <laughs> maybe, probably. But one over, what's, uh, what's two to the 12th power? That, that's the chances of actually having a 300 game if I could get a strike 50% of the time. So I'll do that math for you in a second. But with, with golf, I mean, everyone who swings whatever, a five iron, can put it somewhere near the hole. So you just do that enough, you'll get a hole in one. It's one in 4,100. One out, one out of uh, 4,096 is two to the 12th power. Yeah, I think chance. if I took, I think if most weekend golfers took 4,000 swings on one of those, you know, 180 par threes. That's Shorter. That's hole in one. 130. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think they could get it in once every 4,000 times? I don't know. People play golf so, for their whole someone who's Someone who's good. Yeah, I know, but they, do they, but they don't, go, no one golfs 4,000 times. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the right way to look at it. I think the, I think the reason that it's more accessible is that, it's basically like winning the lottery. You can it's just fuck like ran- up you just, and just still, like random. It can still mm. happen. You yeah. can't you can't bowl a three hundred game without having some skill. That's not going to happen. But you can totally get a hole in one in golf and be a like really terrible golfer. That is possible. Right. I guess the thing that I was the way that I read the question incorrectly. Sure. I'll be clear is like what is the sport, sports achievement that it's possible for somebody who's not like an amazing athlete to achieve, that would still be the coolest. Like if you went up to somebody at a party and be like, hey, I bowled it during a game. You're like, oh, great job. Yeah, here's a trophy. Like w- which of those achievements, would it be like I took um, BP at like a major league stadium and like hit one over the wall? Like that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's like not impossible for I think it is. I think just the strength to do it and the the hand-eye coordination. I think you think that it's impossible. Some dude did for it for anyone except a good baseball player to do it. I what about I, hitting I, like a what about hitting the half court shot to win like ten thousand dollars at the half t- halftime of a game? Oh, I, you know what that. If, if that's the ultimate achievement in halftime uh, fun, funness, then yeah, that's more possible. I do think it's something like one in four. That's a good question. If you could get to the point of uh, your fifth, uh, half the time you bowl a strike, and so it turns out that's one in, you have a one in 4,000 chance of getting the 300 game, does uh, a decent enough golfer, I don't know, what, 15 handicap or something, have a one in 4,000 chance, give him 4,000 shots at a makeable hole-in-one, will he make it? I don't know the answer. I wonder what golfers would say. Not really. I mean, I wonder well, between <laughs> you and me, but if you're a golfer, please don't write it. I mean, I, I don't want to minimize the accomplishment, but, you know, Kim Jong-il did card five, five <laughs> hole-in-ones in a round. That's so, fair. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get to yet more conundrums, I wanted to let you know that in our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we will be talking about yet more conundrums. But in that bonus segment, Stefan and I will be joined by the king of conundrums, the political gabfest David Plotz. He'll be here to adjudicate various sports-related quandaries. To hear that conversation, please join Slate Plus for just $35 a year. If you do, you will get bonus segments on this podcast. You will get bonus segments on other Slate podcasts, and you'll get them every week. Sign up at slate.com slash hangupplus. All right, Mike Pesca, we've each gone around once. It's time for your second round pick in the conundrums draft. What do you got for us? How about what would basketball be like if there were two balls in play at all times? That was from Jordan Ellenberg, Slate's occasional math columnist. Got a lot of Slate bias in the conundrum yeah. selection. These are, the only one, these are the only <laughs> ones. These are the only ones that are from, from Slate people, except Another I guess one. Mike Pesca's yeah. one. But Jordan is, Jordan is great. He wrote the book, How Not to Be Wrong. Good question. Look. Yeah. It's a good question. I'm not, not going to pick yeah. it. The way I would look at it is let's let's tap that question asker and see if they would write for Slate. And it turns out a couple <laughs> of them do. All right. What would, would basketball be, ter- be like if there were two balls in play at yeah. all times? Go. The answer is it would be terrible because there is no sport that I know of with two balls in play except for the fictional sport of Quidditch, which is the worst <laughs> part of the Harry <laughs> Potter books because when the golden snitch or whatever it's called comes out. <laughs> the star-bellied just, golden snitch. Yes. It destroys everything else. Now, everyone has all, we've all thought about this and all that would happen is Two, we have. <laughs> I think so. All the up and down sports, like it doesn't make any sense with football, but all the up and down sports, if you put two of the puck or ball or whatever in play at once, all that would happen is two sports would break out at the same time simultaneously. So if you don't two increase, games. yeah, two games. So if you don't increase the, although if you throw a puck on the basketball court, that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. If you don't increase the number of players, it would very predictably turn into whatever a three on three basketball game would be with some minor variations because there are five basketball players. So you'd have to determine if you'd go two on three, three on two, the zone defenses would adjust accordingly. But I mean, it's maybe it's fun for a uh, seventh grade, uh, the, the seventh graders who are playing LeBron, their uh, gym coach could try it one day. Um, but it just wouldn't be as interesting, I think, as uh, maybe you'd, you would think it would be. I don't know. I think it would add some strategic uh, challenges. It definitely would do that. Yeah. Um, it's common in practice, in like soccer practice, you'll often roll two balls out and make people play, make the kids play at the same time to improve spatial awareness, to get athletes to keep their head up, to be, you know, to be, to, to, to think about utilizing different parts of the field. Um, but with, I think, pro athletes in basketball, I think the risk of injury would be pretty high. Um, it'd be kind of like bumper cars out there too. Mm. And I think you could deploy some strategies to deliberately try to take your opponents out, get two balls into the same zone and then spread them out. Um, you know, can you have two guys on the baseline, each with one ball trying to decide what to do? 
Um, you, you could create some havoc. I think it would be more entertaining to watch Mike than you seem uh, willing to acknowledge. No, mm. I'm definitely, Mike is definitely right. Um, oh, it would suck. And here's. <laughs> It'd be fun to watch for a little bit. Here's why. It would be, as a spectator sport, it would be impossible to film. Like, how would you, how would you broadcast it? If you, how would, I, mean, I guess you'd have to do split screens. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the balls would be in the same shot. Like, how would you, how would you deal with that? Um, I think six announcers, two teams, <laughs> exactly <afraid>. one for <laughs> ball, um, two different, uh, maybe four sideline reporters would be, would be necessary <laughs> to describe all the injuries. But the thing that it would, that it would really screw up in basketball is that one of the like most important features is that all the players on both teams play offense and defense and you're running back up and down the court, and mm-hmm. you transition. Some teams and players do it better than others, but you transition seamlessly between offense and defense. Having two balls on the court, you would have to, I think, have players just stand in particular places on the court and like not be going back and forth because there would always be, or there would always be the threat of the ball being of of being scored on like there's no more like we're on offense now like that doesn't exist which would mean you would need i think permanent offensive and defensive players yeah, but josh you're overlooking the fact that this is a different game you're talking about basketball and we're talking about basketball ball mm, basketball attorneys generals play basketball what about maybe we're wrong you know look at dodgeball what if dodgeball was always played That's with one true. ball yeah. and then at some point someone threw out three what about <laughs> what about non-ball sports i was thinking about this i think like um a really bad example would be uh floor exercises in gymnastics <laughs> but what about pole vaulting from opposite ends of the pole so to introduce <laughs> a defensive aspect but you know what would be really good thinking about it and no how come no one has tried this except the wwe those guys are geniuses all all of the combat sports are always mano a mano. Why not have three, three. fencers uh, at You've a time? You clearly or not watching professional more. wrestling. Yeah, yeah, the that's Royal Rumble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it would be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't WWE? Uh, about, like, wouldn't boxing be good? Where the Olympic <laughs> sports, I think, are particularly suited too, Mike. I mean, can you imagine fencing if there were three? Lanes, three-dimensional yeah. fencing. That'd be awesome. That'd be pretty what great. about boxing? And you have a boxing team, and you field players, <laughs> boxers at five different weight classes, huh? And then, so maybe your middleweight beats their middleweight, uh, but then he's left to f- uh, fend against the heavyweight. And maybe there's a way, like in um, this the the um, Paralympics, where the murder ball teams, where their wheelchair rugby team mm-hmm. has certain, or a lot of teams have certain amounts of kind of points to play in terms of functionality. So if like if you go in for the best heavyweight, then you have to compensate with having a really bad middleweight or lightweight. Ooh, that could be very interesting. I like the boxing team idea. You know what I love? I love when Mike says, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> All right, Stefan, your turn. Um, this is from Jeff Klein. If a team could use their mascot, i.e. the Lions could use a lion, the Dodgers could use a subway Dodger for one play or for a few critical minutes in a game, which team should do that and which situation should they use their mascot? For example, the Chicago Bears could have a real live bear that they could use one play per game. Which play, when, how could they be sure that the bear would help them and not help the opponent? I think there would be a risk of penalty. Um, With the bear? Surely. I was thinking about this, and I think you got to choose your mascot judiciously. I was thinking mm-hmm. about this. For instance, I would, in game seven of the NBA finals, Steph Curry's at the foul line, 
0.9 second to go, down one, he's shooting three shots. Who do you bring on the court? You bring the wizard out to put a hex on Steph Curry, and he mm. misses all three. Or, or stuff the magic dragon of the Orlando Magic. <laughs> Didn't the, the movie Angels in the Outfield kind of solve this conundrum for us? <laughs> if I not, guess, Ed. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that was more than a single play, though. Uh, the Chicago Bulls? Now, the bull, this is a problematic one. Because the yeah. bull, the bulls wear red on the mm. road, right? And the bull is going to run after the color red. So the bulls aren't going to deploy the bull unless it's a home game against the team that also wears red, the heat, the trailblazers. I would want the bull in for a full court press situation. So he would just chase after whoever's got red on on the other team. You can't give the bull the ball, though, because he'll pick up a charging foul instantly. Josh, if Pierre the Pelican were to put the ball in his uh, prodigious bill, would that be a traveling violation? It's got to be a real Pelican, Mike. You're missing the point. It can't be Pierre the Pelican. It's a real Pelican. You're missing the point. I think the wizard would actually be, I mean, clearly you were thinking about it because I think that might be the best choice because there's nothing against the rules about putting a hex on an opposing player. I think the real risk here is that with any mascot you would choose – that you'd put them on the court and they'd immediately be called for some sort of rules uh-huh. violation. You know what? The thing is, what's a real wizard? The only real wizard is a member of the Ku Klux Klan who's not going to be good at basketball. I, okay, so not going to get honesty, a great reception on the court, probably. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Philly fanatic can get hit, uh, hit by pitch. Maybe that would be. I don't know what a real fanatic is. Uh, all the human. The real Philly. Are, yeah, a real a real patriot would be either good or bad. I mean, I assume Tom Brady's a patriot. Well, think let's think about football though. There are a couple. That's of the one where yeah, the lions and the bears. Like a, a bear could be trained, or a lion is essentially in a three point stance and possibly <laughs> could be trained. Be. Could be trained to only go either on the ball movement or when his like the trainer, the lion's trainer, could be next to him on the line. He could be trained, or this could be for a bear. And then when the trainer smacks him on the ass, he could go and maul the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there are Mm -hmm. rules against claws. Oh, the training part is interesting. I hadn't considered. So I think a lion as a defensive lineman could work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think there are a couple of other mascots in football that might be useful. The eagle or the falcon... You know, they've got the talons. You could sort of put the ball on the ground, pick it up and fly over the defense. And the jet also, but I think the jet would only be useful in the Canadian Football League because you can run up to the line of scrimmage. The receiver can run up to the line of scrimmage before the play starts. Mm. I think the lion is a good idea because even though it would be illegal and you'd get like an unnecessary roughness, Penalty, mm-hmm. just the advantage you could get by just murdering the entire other team right. would probably be worth it. Yeah. I mean, he if definitely it definitely defined by play. Goodell. Yeah, I could see Goodell grandstanding on that all week, but yeah. The Lion a bear, would, a bear, lion would just get a, one game suspension for a killing bear is the a, other team. A bear is a run stuffer. I mean, you don't get better than an actual Kodiak bear. Or do you want a giant in baseball or in football? I guess in baseball, I could deny a big home run, football block a field goal. I think football. Yeah. I think the strike zone problem is bad for the Giants in baseball. All right. Um, I like Scott T. Holland. He had a bunch of really good questions for us. I'm going to go with the one. If you took the champions of the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball and made them each play the other sports round robin, which would fare the best? 
So let's let's think about how no one would be able to play in the NHL, right? But that's a little bit different than I, I assume the NHL players. Well, if they played around Robin, including their sports, you'd have to say the NHL because no one no one else could skate. Very, I, I doubt. But no, consider could, this, Mike. If you're doing a round robin of other sports, that means the NBA champions and the NFL champions would play hockey right. against yeah. each other as part of that round robin. Right. But how would the how could anyone best the well no, So you no, take no, an L in your given yeah. sport, or you just don't include that in the in the competition. You can't right. you don't play your own sport. All right. So I think it would have to be the NFL because they have the most players to choose yep. from. Yep. They're most de- geographically diverse. Yep. It's played everywhere. Um most NFL players, you could field good, like very good basketball teams, I would imagine, with an NFL team, and you couldn't field good uh football teams with any of the other like really good football teams with any of the other sports. I mean the fact that you know, every other sport does not want any 300-pounders, whereas they're necessary in almost half the positions in the NFL means that I think the NFL would have the advantage. I think the NBA would be a problem for playing football since there are only like 15 people on an NBA team. So that, <laughs> yeah. would, be one, that would be one problem there. But I think you're right, six Mike. Man. That, that, six man. Six man. Uh, the, the crucial factor with the NFL is the 53-man roster. You are likely to have at least a few guys who have skated or can skate. And I think that is the the, the complete right. advantage to the NFL winning the just winning the competition because it's really going to come down to who's going to win the hockey game. Well, and I NFL, was thinking that yeah, maybe sorry, baseball because there are a lot of white people in baseball. I thought maybe they would have an advantage mm-hmm. in hockey over the NBA and NFL teams. But they, all the Latin players in baseball have never really played um, football. I think we've all agreed that it would all come down to which of the other three sports would be the best at hockey. That's the crucial determining factor. And I guess maybe the NFL, we would have to equalize it in some way. Like maybe it would be you can only pick 15, the top 15 players from Mm. each of these squads. And you play six on six football. Or you play, yeah, and you play some. Hybrid. Just you got you got to give Stick the basketball ball. guys a chance. With I still think the NFL would be the best because the NFL is a collection of essentially guys playing a different sport. So that lends itself to those players being adaptable to other sports. I mean, Matthew Stafford was a pitcher, and um, I, I could there, well, there right, Mike. And this, others, this goes back to examples. remember when we when we drafted our team handball team. I mean, mm-hmm. you get a lot of football players because there are such a diversity of skill sets required to play on to to fill out a team. So right. you're going to have a diversity of players: players that can throw, players that can shoot, players that can kick. So throw soccer in there, and you know you, you, you've got another element. Yeah, and I think the the players. quarterback thing is really key because. I do think that any starting NFL quarterback could be like a competent pitcher, especially yeah. if you're like going against hockey players and basketball players. Like I would like the quarterback's mm-hmm. chances to like have a dominant outing on the mound. I think maybe we're in agreement that it's the NFL. Congratulations, NFL <laughs> you team. Win, NFL. All right, we are done with conundrum round two. You know what I like to do after conundrum round two? Conundrum round three. Let's uh, <laughs> let's get it rolling, Mike. Which uh, which one do you want to go with? What's a more worthwhile career? A few years of brilliance and dominance, or a decade plus of replacement level mediocrity? I'd rather have decade level mediocrity, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. 
because you're still we're talking about being a professional athlete, right? Not a softball mm-hmm. player. Yeah, you're still in the NBA. You're still in the NHL. You're still, well, in the case of the NFL, that might expose you to more brain trauma. But I understand. I think uh, we're guided to say that to burn brightly and to have an MVP caliber season must be amazing. But I think you'd also probably have to deal with a lot of the effects of why it was only short. Could have been injury. Could have been you never were able to get back to the place. Could be because you started tipping your curveball. Whereas if you were, I think the phrase replacement level mediocrity, but if you were there for a decade, would it really be mediocre? I don't know how you'd be able to pull that off for a decade. But I always found that having a role and doing that role pretty well um, was really satisfying in the world of sports. Maybe not in other worlds, but when I played football, I was uh, a good offensive lineman, but I wasn't the quarterback and I wasn't the wide receiver. But if I did my offensive line duties correctly, it would help the other team. Um, I don't know that I don't I I can't compare dominance in in the seventh and eighth grade level to brilliant (laughs) to um, mediocrity. But there's a, a, a real fun and joy and satisfaction and also. I don't know. Maybe once you get to the major league level, you're always telling yourself, I'm better than this. I'm better than just a somewhat below average player in this league. Maybe you are saying that. But if you really had a handle that, look, I am the long snapper. It's what I do. You can't dominate at that position, but I'm happy to do my job well. I think that could be very satisfying. You really need to understand the context. So Derek Rose has been having a really difficult time the last few years with more than the last few years with injuries and seemingly with dealing with the fact that he'll never be the player that he was when he was the NBA MVP before all these injuries robbed him of um, much of his greatness. Now he's still like one of the best basketball players in the world, but it's still been a really precipitous fall, like going from being maybe the best player in the world to like the 300th best Mm -hmm. is like pretty damn hard to deal with. And so I get what you're saying, Mike. Now, Let's imagine a world in which Derrick Rose was the MVP for a couple of years and was like, you know what? I'm going to move on to do other things because I'm happy with my life. You know, I guess that rarely happens, which is a point of, of, uh, of evidence that needs to be considered. But I, I think that there are certainly circumstances where you could be in the majors and the NBA for 10 years as kind of a replacement level player. And you could blame other people for that, like – and think, oh, you know, maybe I could have been great or should have been great if not for this coach, if not for, you know, maybe maybe that was injuries too, but it was before you were in the NBA or, or whatever. It just, I think it's so circumstance dependent. Or, or maybe if you know going in, I mean, and this is the conundrum. I if know you going expecta- in. Your own expectation. If my, yeah. if I go, if I'm going into this knowing that I have, 10 or 12 years of average play in a major league versus I'm going in knowing I've got three years of greatness. I mean, what's unspoken is do I get to stay in the league like Derrick Rose or is my career over and I get to, to, to bask in it? I think most athletes would take the, the 10 or 12 years, not just because you can make a shitload more money in a long, stable career in pro sports, than in your first three or four years in most of the pro sports that have free agency restrictions. Um, But there is that sense of this is where I belong. 
that I don't want to ever give this up. That feeling I experienced as a kid, as a high school athlete, as a college athlete, that I get to perpetuate into my 30s, that I get to be in this environment, these guys don't want to give that up. And I think they would make those kinds of trade-offs in order to just continue to live that life. And you mentioned the long snapper, Pesca, and that's the perfect example. I mean, Mike Leach, who was the long snapper in Denver for, and, and in Arizona, he had like a 16-year career. He went to William yeah. & Mary and had a 16-year <laughs> career and was... Peter King's worst player in the NFL one year, or the 500th worst player in the league, whatever it was. How does Peter know that? That's bullshit. I don't <laughs> believe also, it. <laughs> let's also say, I, I want to point this out. Replacement level and mediocrity are two different things. They're almost opposites. Replacement level means you're as good as a minor leaguer. You're a quadruple A player. Um, you're cannon fodder. Mediocrity means half the players are worse than you. So would you rather have a career, I was thinking of Jeremy Affelt, who's a very useful middle relief pitcher who knew what he is. I'd want Jeremy Affelt's career. I was trying to compare it to some guy who maybe led the league in saves once, but, you know, got quickly injured like a Brian Harvey or someone. Rather have Jeremy Affelt's career. Yeah, and I guess I was trying to think of, there are different categories of players who burned brightly there. Obviously, like the incredibly tragic cases of, of guys like Lynn Bias. But then, you know, if you think in like Olympic sports, somebody like a Mark Spitz, or if you think, you know, Bjorn Borg was a guy who was amazingly dominant and then quit at a very young age. But invariably, those guys um, and women who quit really early after having uh, an amazing beginning of the career, they always try to make a comeback. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, speaks to the argument that you'd rather have a long career and, and not just have it, uh, you know, burn out quickly. Stefan Fatsis, what is your conundrum? We didn't credit Bobby McMahon for that last conundrum. So thank you, Bobby McMahon. Uh, my next conundrum, how would you change an NBA floor or an NFL field if irregularities were allowed, encouraged as they are in baseball stadiums? And this comes from Scott Holland again. Uh, you want to start with football or, or basketball? So the premise here is, um, to be clear, when I think of irregularities, I think of um, something that would be particular to a home stadium and give you a home field advantage. So what I, what would the football or basketball equivalent be of like the green monster or of like that dumbass hill that was in the outfield well, in Houston? Well, football has it. Turf. I mean, football has it. It totally has it. It changes the game tremendously. Yeah, but be a little more creative than that, yeah. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> What's the dumbass hill of football? I think the dumbass hill of football could be a dumbass hill, and then announcers could say <laughs> he's literally running uphill. Yeah. yeah. So there's an incline in the field, sort of like a, you know, like in uh, in snowboarding or something. Slope what about style. the dirt infield <laughs> at in uh, uh, Oakland Alameda Stadium? And I think no others. There are no other. Yeah, I think that's mostly left. gone now. The the yeah, dirt yeah. infield. Um. What about Mike? Um, I think we can play with the dimensions here. Right. That's what, that was my because I think question. if if it's a baseball issue, you know, baseball stadiums were weirdly dimensioned because they were crammed into urban neighborhoods and had to fit the the topography of 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 the the streets. Um, so how would we adjust? And I think we can have free reign here. We've got some latitude, and latitude might play into into the conversation as well. Um, I think you can. I say let's. 
let ourselves change the dimensions of the field. And in basketball, I would extend the baseline, have like a, a two foot wide extension that runs along the baseline, like another 30 feet into the stands, but only an offensive player is allowed in there. And you can pass him the ball and he's got to shoot from at least 40 feet away. And what franchise are you running? This is, this is as the head of basketball operations for the Toronto Raptors. It's the T-Wolves because it's a T. It's my yeah. T court. So it's the T-Wolves. Great. Love it. Mike, what do you, how do you feel about changing? I, I guess in football, it would be a challenge because of the whole like 10 yards for a first down thing. Right, right. Um, so, well, I was thinking about this. There was another question essentially asking, like baseball has the DH in one league and not another, what's another rule you'd like for half the teams? What about if That was in another football, conundrum, wasn't it? Right. What about if in football, um, half the teams played by NFL rules, but then half the teams played by CFL rules? And don't worry, we're not going to actually ship you to Edmonton. It would just be AFC, NFC. And then I don't know how you, how you do the Super Bowl or uh, interleague play, but uh, interleague play would be determined just on whoever play. is the home field. That would be interesting. That would be. Yeah, so this And the was, field dimensions are slightly different. They are. Longer field, bigger uh, end zone, although I think yeah. they, they cut mm-hmm. down the size of the Canadian end zones recently. Yeah, this is like a conundrum twofer. So this one was one from Scott Chupak, like the designated hitter. What rule would you like to see half of a sports league use while the other half doesn't? Um, college football rules could also get in there, too. Mike. Um, so some of the players in the NFL would be paid and some would just be paid in <laughs> tattoos and hash? I was thinking more just one foot in on a uh, on yeah. a reception or like you're down when your knee is down, but that works too. Yeah. I like um, that. For basketball, I wouldn't change the dimensions of the court, but what I would do is there is a certain um, square footage inside the three-point range. It's kind of a backwards way to think about it. But, you know, your three-point shot is, whatever it is, 23 feet from the basket. What's the area of the three-point range? Right. So what if all teams had to stick to that? So the total amount of range outside the three-point lane would be the the same. But they could do whatever they want with it. So they could have a... they could have a three-pointer be I like, f- like one little point that's five feet from the basket. You know, it would, it would on the court, look like a triangle dipping in. And, you know, you'd have to defend that specially. I like that. And I think that plays back into the how would you change the shape of the field if you wanted. Like in mm-hmm. football, Josh and I were talking off mic about maybe making the field like a rhombus or a shape like a bow tie and how that would impact strategy. <laughs> it would clearly have an impact. I think we can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But if we are thinking about this seriously, like what would an NBA team do? Like the Warriors would definitely move the three-point line back. Like mm-hmm. that would be an, a no-brainer for them just because they have the best shooters and like Steph and Clay and KD would be able to make three-pointers from beyond 28 feet and their opponent wouldn't. It would just give them a huge advantage. But if we think about that in football, like would a team with a really good passing offense, um, like the Saints, traditionally really good passing offense and a bad pass defense, would you want the field to be like way longer? Would that yeah, make sense? More wi- because, faster and more wide open, sure. Because I mean, that's what turf does. Um you would you're I guess I don't know if you would want the field to be wider. You just want it to be longer. Because your offense would be able to, um, you know, to march down the field well, if you, you would, have a good passing offense, but the other team would would struggle more. And you would tailor your roster construction around the shape of your field. 
And I, yeah. uh, but I do think that we're getting I away know that from Chip, the intent of the question, which is sort that's of true, how let would me just you, say if, the, if if the field were wider, I know that Chip Kelly would have an advantage the first couple of years, but then everyone would catch up to him. That would definitely happen. <laughs> We're not we're not factoring the geography of the location of the field into 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 play as much as I think we should here. You know, in basketball, you know, could you if your stadium happened to be in my childhood driveway, you know, <laughs> and you had to come play there with a nine foot six inch rim, would that be okay? With a, in baseball, if my field happened to have a gutter running down the side of it, you know, would that be part of the the strategy of changing fields? I think it should be. All right. Last conundrum. I think uh, we're going to finish strong, you guys, on the first Hang Up and Listen conundrum show. Let's end with the um, greatest moment for all of us is the imaginary moment in which we win a championship. Cam Bennett asks, what would be the best sporting event to win or sporting moment to have? Cam Bennett's dad, let this inform your answer or not. Cam Bennett's dad always answered this question by saying, walking up the 18th of the British Open with an easy putt to make and a huge lead because he just doesn't really like to be challenged in any way or overcome adversity. I respect that. So growing up playing basketball in the backyard, you know, I embodied the cliche of like doing the three, two, one, the ball goes in and like running around the backyard in celebration. It's, I think, the easiest thing to imagine. But the funny thing is like it very rarely happens that way that you like win a basketball championship. Like Chris Jenkins doing it for Villanova against North Carolina a few years ago was like so storybook. Um, But it was it just like pointed out how rare it was for that achievement happened. But like walking up the 18th, you know, fairway to win a major like happens four times a year. Uh, so I don't know if, does that factor into your choice at all, Mike? Well, I think it, you, it's definitely the biggest factor is individual versus team sport. And I'm more a team sport oriented guy. If I were an individual sport oriented guy or ex- excelled, <laughs> let's, not, let's not be overly generous to myself <laughs> or were minimally competent in individual sports as I was in the team sports, I probably would have a different personality and I'd probably, in order to succeed in the individual sports like tennis or boxing or golf, uh, be more self-motivated. But I do think the great thing about winning a team sport is all the anticipation beforehand is with a group and you wonder and you worry and you plan with other people. Some of that goes on. But then afterwards, you can always have reunions with the group. So the 72 Dolphins will always have each other to be obnoxious about, whereas whoever won the U.S. Open in 72 was this, who, who, who would it have been? I don't know. Let's say it's uh, Jack. You know, he just has himself to pat on the back. I think the, the, the distinction that Cam Bennett's dad is making is that it's an individual sport and he's soaking in this extended... The soak in. He's got the big soak in. He gets five to seven minutes of adulation, of attention focused on him versus the shock moment of a Lorenzo Charles dunk at the end of the 1983 NCAA championship or, I mean, if Gordon Hayward had hit the shot for Butler, that would have been another signature moment. Or a home run like Joe Carter or Bill Mazeroski. Right. It's the question of do you want to, like, know that you're going to win and you're, like, allowing the acclaim and applause to wash over you? Or do you want it to be kind of a surprise where then Jim Valvano runs around looking, looking for, for someone, someone to, to hug? hug. 
it's obvious to me that you want the second one. Yeah. I want to be, I want to, I want, I want to have someone to hug. Stefan, I'm always here for you. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for coming on Hang Up and Listen. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That is our show for today. Our producer is Patrick Ford. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup and you can email us at hangup at slate.com. You can send your sports conundrums there because I'm sure we'll do this again. We've got a lot that we didn't get to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my, my event, I didn't even say. Like, what do I really want to win? I want to really want to win the National Scrabble Championship. Facebook.com slash listen if you want to share conundrums there too. I also want to recommend the Double X Gab Fest. It's a bi-weekly show about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, Beyonce, sometimes sports, and other issues of interest to women and their friends. It's hosted by Hannah Rosen of Invisibilia, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and managing producer of Slate Podcast, June Thomas. You can listen every other Thursday, and you can find it at slate.com slash double X plus. For Mike Pesca... And Stefan Fatsis, I'm Josh Levine. Remember Zelmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. <laughs>